Welcome to episode 355 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have our resident social critic, an expat global hobo living in the south of France, writer, musician, JQ. JQ and I discuss nihilism, the death of God, meditation, apathy, the winter in southern France, about a blind yogi, and how ego is what drives us to enlightenment, Gandhi, what is eternal, cannot suffer, how life is like a video game, and that faith is not knowing. A great conversation with JQ on this week's program. We have an EW essay titled True, an excerpt from the great Leopold Tolstoy's Confessions and Other Religious Writings, and a poem called Salvation. All of this, of course, as is always the case, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 355 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Your experience of 
true. Are you talking to me? You must be talking to me. There's no one else here. I fear, therefore I am. What a godforsaken sham. Nietzsche, que dice? Sugar, sex, magic, yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. These are the ways of a human trying to get through before he comes to the time of bidding adieu into the long sleep. Dream like Dostoevsky, ponder like Tolstoy, and breathe like Buddha. Is all of this getting through to you? The sun also rises as the old man in the sea surmises, equipped with a telescope and hotspot Wi-Fi to capture and navigate within the wink of an eye an old-fashioned seaside light tower painted red, white, and blue. Its illumination beckons deep down inside of you to not feed the nihilism of all this dualistic knowledge, helping you to see seemingly more true. The sort of freedom we seek comes with no clues. It is a wondrously beautiful ruse, not a swinging, strongly knotted noose calling you to stick your head in. Poppycock, as Dumbledorf joyously whistles Dixie on a bourbon-soaked kazoo. We travelers are dancing within a glory larger than words and finely crafted blurbs. Love and soul and the sun are what indeed shine through. I dig a pygmy by Charles Hawtrey on the Deaf Aids. Phase one in which Doris gets her oats.
going home. JQ, is that you? JQ. Present, account. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Our uh, resident social critic, writer, musician, an expat global hobo living in the south of France. It's good to have you back on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. How's it going? Well, it's, it's good to be back, my friend. It's going great. You can hear me okay. You seem confused there. Well, I'm, you know, normally confused, but... Uh, generally, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I hear you fine. Okay, all right. So where are we at? Uh, well, let's 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 start out slow. How about nihilism? <laughs> nihilism. Okay, uh, is that how you pronounce it, or is it nihilism? Uh, you know, that's my first question. I, I I've always said nihilism, but nihilism, you know, that works too. I think, right? Whatever. Yeah, fair work. enough. I'm not sure it's correct. I, I'm willing to call it nihilism. Uh, well, all right. Uh, if we're going to start there, throw that at me. Nihilism. Um, let's see. Uh, over a century and a half ago or so, the two greatest minds that I could think of off the top of my head, uh, Nietzsche and Dostoevsky, both identified it as the problem for future man, that being us. Because of um, tendencies? Because of tendencies that they were witnessing? Because of what Nietzsche called the death of God, which Dostoevsky didn't call the death of, death of God, but identified as well in his novels. Uh, and therefore, the lack of the, the sort of what you might call the psychological substructure of uh, Western humanity had been pulled out from under our feet by the scientific revolution. A good thing, because we were more reasonable and logical, but... A very dangerous thing because since there is no structure of belief and therefore no structure to the universe, uh, anything is permitted. And so if there's no belief and humanity being a creature that is motivated by beliefs up until that point, up until us, uh, what then motivates them? So there suddenly are no laws, no rules. There is belief in nothing. Uh, and so, except ethics is empty if there's not, uh, this is the argument, ethics and morality are empty if there's not a God behind it to, to uh, justify it. And or if there's not an after, or if there's not what have you, add your own thing there. So yes, nihilism. We are in the grips of nihilism. That's, that's what it's all about, apparently. And you have, to, you have to admit that these are two people who... Nietzsche, in particular, pretty much predicted the coming world wars. He he saw conflagrations coming. He was reasonably clear about that, you know, because of the the lack of religious faith to bind us. Political ideologies would take over. So you had immediately after his death, pretty much, fascism, communism, capitalism, all the isms, battling for control. And uh, ideology leading to two world wars, 
and so on. So nihilism, yes. So since God is not reigning supreme anymore in terms of our motivation in an afterlife, uh, motivation to behave uh, and, and, you know, uh, uh, to seek, uh, uh, I guess, your rewards after this life, then people just don't think anything matters anymore. There's no guidance. Well, yeah, if, if nothing is sacred, then everything is permitted. You know, I was recently uh, reading a little Tolstoy, uh, conf- Confessions and uh, the Confession and other religious writings, and he goes through a phase uh, where he pretty much wonders what the point is, you know, uh, given a lot of his privilege and, and questioning and looking at religion and psychology and science, and he he just can't find anybody really addressing what the point is, and thus he got depressed. Uh, right. So, you know, is 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 this just a, an evolutionary step in our in our our consciousness, our understanding of, of place on, on this planet, in this universe? I really wish I was smart enough to tell you. Maybe, maybe. I, Tolstoy is another great mind who, who struggled with these, with the same issues around the same time. Uh, so that was very much in the air. Uh, the threat of belief in nothing and what that meant for humanity and for society and so on and so forth. And we're kind of in the grips of that today. I mean, it's funny that, you know, we've seen the sort of death of all the old uh, shibboleths and aesthetics don't really matter anymore. Uh, Ethics, it's all coming down to technology and advertising. The general feeling, you correct me if I'm wrong, but when I talk to people, the general feeling I get is that there's a sense of uh, degeneration and that between technology and advertising, we're powerless, you know, in front of those two things, that they are actually what controls everything. And so the the ideologies or uh, the, the, the spiritual notions, the philosophical notions, the poetical images of what humanity is fall by the wayside. And everything becomes robotics and manipulation. Right. It's a very, very dark vision. I, and I'm not saying it's not my vision of, of what humanity actually is, but it is the phase we're in. And it is the phase that was predicted by Nietzsche, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy a little bit less, but he certainly struggled with the same issues and, and was a very, very, very serious man um, and a very brilliant man. All these Eastern European guys, you know, all depressed and putting it on us, you know. I mean, is, isn't it just freedom, though, really? You know, uh, we don't have to worry about God judging us. Uh, we, we can do as we please. And even if, if nothing matters, then, you know, have at it. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. Uh, I've known a lot of people that have lived according to that, and it hasn't worked out for them very well. No, what, ha- what happened? I don't know. What happened to them? Well, I'm not going to get into people's personal lives. This is no, that I, I've known generally. a lot of people who, who well, look, you know, you see people who live without any sort of real moral center. They don't end up very well. I, I don't have to, like, give specific examples from my life. Anybody listening, or your, you yourself, can think off the top of your head of people you know. I mean, that seems to be a rule of thumb. 
yeah, I I would agree. I mean, you you end up feeling empty, I suppose, and also you just abuse yourself and others, uh, which doesn't lead to a good end uh, either. Um, but I mean, do you go about then as a citizen, as a, as an individual, uh, following? parameters that are designed just to keep you in check? I mean, if you want to find nirvana, right? For example, if we start talking about uh, Eastern philosophy, religion, uh, you have to sort of uh, detach yourself from all of these things that, uh, you know, the duality of of our our perception of existence. Um, Isn't that, isn't what we're talking about in a, a way to get there, to nirvana perhaps? Well, all right. As you know, I've spent a lot of time in India, uh, about two years in all. I've been in those milieu, those circles of people who are in the ashrams, into spiritual disciplines, who do that for years and years and years, uh, who meditate regularly and all of these things. And while there are certain benefits, and I'm certainly not going to poo-poo the idea of, of meditation, Uh, or having some sort of spiritual discipline, I do have to say that the level of uh, personal dishonesty, hypocrisy, what have you, does not lessen when you get into those circles. Uh, It just smiles a lot more. (laughs) Yeah, it, it, it it just speaks in a softer tone as it screws you. Uh, there's the, 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 my cynicism for all the new agey stuff is very very deep because I've I've been very close to it and known a lot of people that went there and seen the results and it's not terribly convincing yet uh, I will swear by some of the great Eastern philosophers uh, whether it's Krishnamurti or Sri Aurobindo or Ramakrishna or Vivekananda um, if anybody wants to look up any of those names they're all worth looking up. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom, no doubt. Carl Jung, one of my favorite minds in Western philosophy and psychology, uh, once said that if psychology is a a science in the the West that is at its dawn, uh, in the East, it's evening. If you see... In other words, that they were way, way, way more advanced than us in terms of of these things. And, And as you mentioned, finding detachment, using that as a method to come to a healthier place in life. And, and I still believe in all of that, but it's a very, very tricky road. You know, life is, life is not ideal. It is an ordeal. Oh. I think would be my life is not an ideal. It's an ordeal. I like that. Um, Quote me that Quinn copyright 2020, <laughs> January 30th. Got it. Uh, now, you know, you mentioned you went to India and you you uh, saw, I guess, this new agey stuff going there. It, it it was Westerners trying to you know sort of grab on to to the old ancient uh, philosophies uh, that most most of the Eastern philosophies sort of uh, came from India. Uh, they're, so they're not doing it the right way, or when they when they when we we embrace it here in the West, we oversimplify it, or we we uh, we exercise it in a way that is more about personal gratification or even uh, making yourself feel like you're holier than everyone else? Is that the problem you're talking about? Yeah. 
Partially, and yet there are I can I can name Westerners or, or, or that are more or less gurus or seen as sages that that are serious people. I, I mean, the, the most common or the most well-known example, I guess, would be Eckhart Tolle, who is if you go and read The Power of Now, that is not a joke. That book that is very much steeped in the traditions of Eastern wisdom. It is a it, it is a serious book. It, it's not a joke, and he's very 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 good at it. And gets it. Uh, he comes out of a tradition that in India is known as Advaita, which means it's sort of um, agnostic. It's it's against the, the notion that we can have any sort of ultimate knowledge, uh, that the mind itself is so limited you have to pass beyond it because it understands only by duality. That's the basic idea. And that reality is not dualistic. It only seems that way to our perception, to our understanding. We have to posit things in terms of good, evil, light, dark, you know, to pose opposites and paint a spectrum between them, but that reality is actually several dimensions beyond that. Um, Our understanding is too limited to have understanding, is is the basic idea, so you have to get beyond the mind. So yes, there, there are Western thinkers that come out of Eastern traditions in modern times that are very, very serious and, and very, very good. Uh, that said, yes, what you're hinting at, um, I had a friend in India who was a yogi, uh, a blind yogi, and a very, very good friend of mine named Saswat, who called it the spiritual supermarket. When you go over there, they've been doing this a long time. Western money is very good. They're ready for you. They have their ashrams. They have all the pleasant experiences. They know how to talk to you, and they suck a lot of people in. There's a lot of Westerners that go to India and get sucked in, and I witnessed it firsthand, and yeah, it's, it's very disturbing, but at the same time, extremely artfully done. Um, you know, people fall for it for a reason, because they, they use partial wisdom, and then they pepper it with just enough sort of advertising savvy to, to get you involved, and uh, yeah, no, 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 it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a fascinating study, you know, sociologically, it doesn't lead anywhere. Have I answered your question? I'm yeah, not sure. I, I don't know what the question was, but you've definitely shared some good stuff. Talking to uh, JQ, our resident social critic, writer, musician, who lives in the south of France. And um, we're talking about, we started off with nihilism, and I think we branched off of that uh, a bit. Now, that, you know, you mentioned life is not ideal, it is an ordeal. You, we quote it, that's your quote. We're giving you credit for that. Um, now, if it's an ordeal, this goes back, I think, to what I was saying from my recent reading of Tolstoy. You know, what's the point? The, you know, the end is is nigh. You know, there's nothing to look forward to, and and there's no real reason to be here. So, how do you keep going if if you believe that? It's just an ordeal. How do you not get apathetic? That's an excellent question. Um, All right. Well, I guess I'll tell a story. This same person that I briefly mentioned, this this blind yogi that I know in India, who shattered all of my illusions, and I I thank him very much for it. Uh, I didn't fall for the exoticism because because I met this individual when I was over there. Uh, Very young. This is 20-some years ago, right? Uh, he once said to me, uh, after, you know, years of 
of, of, of just pointing out how ridiculous all this stuff was, that it's, a, uh, as he called it, a spiritual supermarket. They get you with the pleasant experiences. You you know, the part of you that seeks for enlightenment, this is another thing he, 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 he told me, uh, is actually the ego itself. So how are you going to transcend the ego by being more in the ego? A paradox that is very difficult to get your head around, but I think you can understand that it's totally it's an excellent point yeah yeah he once said to me when i was really really down and i mean as as down as i've ever been i won't go into the details he said to me my friend life is so much bigger than this life right so the hope is that life is actually much bigger than this life because it's not essentially we are screwed uh you know you can put it in a nutshell we are born. We do not know why we're here, where we come from, or who we are. We have a limited amount of time in an infinite universe and a very limited amount of consciousness in a universe of infinite information. So the game is rigged. That much is clear. But if the game is only a step in something, then okay. It's a learning experience. And that is pretty much the foundation of all spiritual hope, that this life is not all that there is. And if it is all that there is, there's some comfort in the idea that, well, at least you don't have to do this forever, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, in, a lot of folks get nervous about it ending, uh, if, especially if you tell them there's nothing afterward. And I, you know, I always wonder about that myself. I mean, if it does indeed end, well, it will end here, I guess, our, our sense of life. Uh, and you don't, you just become fertilizer. Uh, you're, there's, you know, your spirit doesn't go anywhere. Nothing go. there's nothing, nothing after. Uh, then, you know, wow, how can I live now knowing that? And to me, you know, if that is the case, so what? You know, I mean... You're not going to know anyway, and yet hopefully you had a decent run while you were here, and that's that. And hopefully you know you have some good you had some good people in your life, and and you affected them in a way. If uh, when they those folks are still here after you're gone, you know uh, you impressed upon them some some good feelings, good thoughts, and and then they continue their journey and and so on. Why why does there have to be more? Yeah, I I. I, I... I mean, in a way, what you're expressing is sort of the the romantic vision, you know. I mean, and I don't mean uh, romance. I, I mean, you know, the, the the romantic poets Schiller and and Keats and and whoever you want to name from the the, the 18th 19th centuries. Um, the basic notion being, yes, we are absolutely screwed. We do not live ethically or beautifully because there is a reward for it, but because we can. And that's it. And we're doomed, but we're going to fight anyway. And that, I mean, that, that is a sort of bastardized version of the romantic, what's considered the romantic vision in, in aesthetics, in poetry, in the arts, uh, and philosophy. And it's something that I, I mean, it's easy to sympathize with. That seems to be what you're expressing. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. No, I, I think I think that does uh, summarize what, what I was trying to get across. It's, um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that most people do not want, uh, and I understand, is pain. 
you know, whether it be uh, emotional, psychological, physical pain. Um, and you're going to have some of that if you are alive, but you don't want to have anything too terrible. Uh, and also when you pass, you, you know, you don't want it, it to be too painful. Um, but otherwise, you know, worrying uh, and looking for a payoff, and as you said, being ethical and moral for that payoff, it, it, it seems shallow to me, and it, and it seems almost like too needy, immature to a great extent, uh, emotionally, intellectually. And I don't mean that as a judgment. I mean, I, I, that, I don't, I'm trying to, not trying to talk down to anybody. I'm saying that's not healthy. It's a waste. Yes, no, no. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And just as a side note, dude, I got to say, this is the most metaphysical conversation we've ever had on here. We've talked about all sorts of things on your show, the music business and, and, and what have you, politics, society. And usually we try to be down to earth, but we're really down to like meaning itself <laughs> today. It, it's, it's sort of interesting to me. But what you're saying, uh, yeah, all right, here's something for you. Uh, I read something once that really changed uh, my outlook on things. And it was by a, an Indian philosopher, funnily enough, a, a guy named uh, Sri Aurobindo, who was a Bengali and uh, a poet and a spiritualist and all of those things and a, a guru at one point, uh, for, well, for most of his life. But before that, he was a political revolutionary and a freedom fighter in India. You know, uh, he's very well known in India because if not for sure, Aurobindo, you would have never gotten to Gandhi. He was the guy who was sort of the uh, uh, the revolutionary, independent, independence-minded uh, scourge of the British Empire for, for quite a few years. He said that the nature of suffering is that it is temporary. There is no such thing as permanent suffering. That the greatest uh, metaphysical error ever made was the monotheistic vision of hell, a place of eternal suffering. Suffering is based on temporality. You need time to suffer. Uh, what is eternal cannot suffer. In other words, it's limitation. Okay, so if you think of it this way, the reason you suffer psychologically is because you are trapped in your own mind. If you could expand outside of your mind, you would suffer less. Right. This is why we why the, the spiritualists speak of expanding consciousness. You go beyond suffering when you get outside of what our consciousness, which is basically mentality. OK, binary thinking. Uh, you suffer physically because you are trapped in your own body. If you could feel every cell on Earth. You would actually suffer less. Because the overwhelming majority of living cells on Earth are not in a state of suffering. Suffering is always a state of limitation, whether it be in time or physically. Consciousness is eternality. It is eternity. In other words, awareness can only grow. Suffering is what shrinks you. That there's a sort of yin-yang to that. You follow me? Totally. All right. Well, that's sort of to answer to what you were saying about, well, what people are afraid of is not death. 
for instance, which is just sleep, what they're afraid of is pain, suffering. Well, let, let's, put, let, let, let's put it into a pragmatic uh, framework. Let's say someone's uh, really afraid of losing their job because they can't then pay their bills and support their family anymore. How, how is that going to be uh, transcended through this sort of philosophy, that fear, that pragmatic? It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. You're going to suffer, but you're going to suffer temporarily is, is the idea. It, I don't think that can help you. I don't think, I don't think anything I say or any ph philosophical idea. You know, it's like Tom Waits says, misery is the river of the world. Nothing has ever prevented suffering. We have notions, and we've been talking about some of them, that life is bigger than this life, that there is something after, something beyond, that what we experience here is a, is a form of illusion or gain. You know, and that's a very ancient idea. Uh, we were speaking of India. In ancient India, there's two notions of physical reality. Maya, which is that reality is an illusion, and Lila, L-I-L-A, a Sanskrit term, which means that reality is a game, like a video game, so that you're basically a character. And if you've ever played a video game and been in a character, you're very intensely involved and at the moment, up until the moment where your character, say, gets killed, then you put the joystick down and you're in a greater consciousness than you were in when you were involved in the game, where you narrowed yourself to be that character, if you see what I mean. And so the, the basic idea is that the life you're living is something like that. J your identity. JQ here on Chubadors and Rock on Tours. <laughs> uh, so, you know, do you believe that after your physical self and your consciousness in the form that it is now ends as the way we know it now? Uh, and do you hope as well, believe and hope that you're going to go, there's going to be a, another life for you? Oh, obviously I'm human. I hope that, that, that I expand out of this consciousness into a greater consciousness where everything is more peaceful and loving and, and empathy is not a question of understanding what somebody else is going through by comparing it to your own experience, but by experiencing that other consciousness directly and being beyond the ego and selfhood and all of those things. Yeah, and you're in a realm of light and blah, blah, blah. Of course I hope that. Of course. What idiot doesn't hope that, right? <laughs> but do I believe it? I don't know. I don't know. Here's the thing. Uh, read your Kierkegaard, one of my favorite thinkers of all time. Faith is the opposite of knowledge. If you know something, you can't have faith in it. Faith is not knowing. So all religion, all spirituality, all these new age things, or Christianity, Islam, what have you, uh, Hinduism, whatever, it's all faith. It's all based on not knowing. But then again, as a human being, half your experience is objective because you have to deal with the objective world, and the other half is subjective. And I'm sorry to all the philosophical materialists out there, but Occam's razor and the scientific method do not apply to subjective reality. And that is half of the experience of every human being, the subjective realm. That's where mysticism and poetry and the arts and religion come into play. Subjective science. And it's tricky and it's paradoxical, but that's the way it is. Voila. JQ, I think that's a good place to pause our conversation, our never-ending conversation here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Um, yeah, but my friend, you got to admit, that's the weirdest one we've had. 
I loved it. I think it was wonderful. It was out there. It was out there. Next time we're going to come down to earth and talk about, I don't know, French wines maybe. And, uh, <laughs> and their, effect, uh, their effect on the social fabric of uh, Central Europe. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, maybe we can compare and contrast my favorite single malt whiskeys. Something practical. All right. Let's work on it. We have a, we have a couple of months. All right. <laughs> In the meantime, take care of yourself, and thanks for taking time out uh, there in your chalet in the south of France. <laughs> thanks, my friend. Hope to talk to you soon. Ciao. Bye.
An excerpt from Leo Tolstoy's A Confession and Other Religious Writings from Chapter 2. Someday I will relate the story of my life and of how touching and instructive were those ten years of my youth. I think a great many people must have experienced something similar. I longed with all my soul to be good, but I was young. I had passions and I was alone, completely alone in my search for goodness. Every time I tried to display my innermost desires, I wished to be morally good, I met with contempt and scorn, and as soon as I gave in to base desires, I was praised and encouraged. Ambition, lust for power, self-interest, lechery, pride, anger, revenge, were all respected qualities. As I yielded to these passions, I became like my elders, and I felt that they were pleased with me. A dear old aunt of mine, the purest of creatures, with whom I lived, was always saying that she wished for nothing as much as that I would have a relationship with a married woman. Another happiness she wished for me was that I would become an adjutant, and preferably to the emperor. And the greatest happiness of all would be for me to marry a very rich girl and acquire as many serfs as possible through the marriage. I cannot recall those years without horror, loathing, and heartache. I killed people in war, summoned others to duels in order to kill them, gambled at cards. I devoured the fruits of the peasants' labor and punished them. I fornicated and practiced deceit, lying, thieving, promiscuity of all kinds, drunkenness, violence, murder. There was not a crime I did not commit, and yet I was praised for it all, and my contemporaries considered and still consider me a relatively moral man. For ten years I lived in this fashion. During this time, I began to write out of vanity, self-interest, and pride. In my writings, I did the same as I did in life. In order to achieve the fame and money for which I wrote, I had to conceal what was good in myself and display what was bad. And this is what I did. Time and again, I would contrive in my writings to conceal under the guise of indifference or even of lightheartedness those strivings for goodness which lent meaning to my life. And I succeeded and was praised. After the war, by which time I was 26, I returned to St. Petersburg and took up company with writers. They accepted me as one of them and flattered me. I had no time to stop and look around before I had assimilated the view of life held by the group of writers with whom I mixed, and before long all my earlier attempts at improvement had been erased. Their outlook provided a theory that justified my undisciplined life. The view of life adopted by these people, my literary associates, was that generally speaking life is a process of development in the course of which the most important role is played by us, the thinkers, and that among the thinkers it is we, the artists and poets, who have the most influence. Our vocation is to educate people. In order to avoid being confronted by the obvious question, what do I know and what have I got to teach? Their theory explained that it is not necessary to know this and that. The poet and the artist teach unconsciously.
I was considered a superb artist and poet, and it was therefore quite natural for me to adapt this theory. I, an artist and poet, wrote without knowing myself what it was I was teaching, and I was paid money for doing this. I was provided with excellent food, lodgings, women, company, and I was famous. It must then be the case that what I was teaching was very good. This faith in the meaning of poetry and in the evolution of life was a religion, and I was one of its priests. It was very profitable and pleasant to be one of its priests, and for a considerable length of time I lived in this faith without ever doubting its validity. But in the second, and still more in the third year of this existence, I began to doubt its infallibility and to examine it. The first point of doubt was that I had begun to notice how the priests of this religion disagreed among themselves. Some said, We are the finest and most useful teachers, and it is we who teach what is needed, while the others teach falsely. And the others said, No, we are the real teachers, and you teach falsely. They argued, quarreled, deceived, and tricked one another. Moreover, there were many among us who were unconcerned as to who was right and who wrong, but simply achieved their own selfish ends by means of this activity of ours. And this forced me to doubt the truth of the faith. Furthermore, once I had begun to doubt the truth of this writer's religion, I started observing its priests more closely and became convinced that almost all the priests of this faith, the writers, were immoral men, the majority of bad and worthless character, and much inferior to the people I had met during my former dissipated military life. But they were complacent and self-satisfied in a way that is only possible for people who are truly holy, or for those who do not know what holiness is. These people became repugnant to me, and I became repugnant to myself, and realized that the religion but strange to say, even though the utter falsehood of this creed was something I came quickly to understand and to reject, I did not discard the rank these people bestowed on me, that of artist, poet, and teacher. I naively imagined that I was a poet and an artist, and could teach everybody without myself knowing what I was teaching. And this is what I did.
salvation. Boy, oh boy, where is Troy or Archimedes when you need him? Maybe instead a lady in red or a Gloria Steinem. So, Joyner Truth or perhaps Dr. Ruth? How about Lady Godiva or Malcolm X? Turn up the radio. Sounds like T-Rex. Everybody's going through the motions 
Episode 31055 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our resident social critic, J.Q. Peace, my brother. I also like to thank the great Leopold Tolstoy and these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Nick Waterhouse, The Beatles, JQ, Drive-By Truckers, Cassandra Wilson, and of course, Brentford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard, too. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Thanks for listening.